Good morning, everybody. You know, there's a lot more people than I thought was going to be here for a, a early service Memorial Day weekend. Right, my uh, different social media pages were full of a lot of Lion Lamb people traveling, so I didn't know what to expect uh, today, but I'm, I'm glad that you all are here. Um, thank you for being here. Um, just watching that video uh, just reminded me of Grace's grandpa, uh, Dr. John Bond, who served, he's 96, and so he served in World War II and the Marine Corps, and so it just um, made me thankful for even his service um, uh, during that time. So um, my name is Steve Green. I haven't, I've met most of you, but there's some I haven't met um, personally or that much. Um, I'm on staff here at Lion Lamb Church part-time. I've been on staff for two years, about two and a half years, and I'm also on staff with uh, Young Life, um, with the Young Life College. So I work with Washburn students both here at the church and then also for Young Life um, as well. I know uh, there was last night at about 8.45, about 150 or so, and that number was changing by the moment of students that were traveling to uh, northern Georgia for Young Life Camp. And I know Dalton and some other uh, members of our church were leading that group out there, so I'm sure they'd appreciate your prayers. Uh, one of the leaders was like, man, I'm just taking a bunch of punks with me. And he meant that because he was like, he's just like, please pray for them because these, these kids might undo me during my time there. They're from different area high schools, public schools. The Young Life's very intentional making sure uh, of getting kids that they know don't know the gospel because they know at camp they're going to hear the gospel every day. And it is amazing to see how lives are transformed when they come back. Um, and so be praying through this week for the students at Young Life. Um, I'm sure Dalton will be excited to, to tell you guys about his experience um, when he gets back. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to be in Ephesians 5, verses um, 6 through 14. If you have a pew Bible... It's actually page 978, so you can turn there. Um, as you're doing so, let me set a little bit of a background for uh, this passage or the book or letter to the Ephesians. Um, Ephesians is written by Paul the Apostle to the church in Ephesus. Um, unlike a lot of letters that Paul writes, like uh, 1 Corinthians or Romans, in which there's a specific occasion for him writing this letter, uh, Ephesians doesn't have that feel. It's kind of a general letter. It's going to be sort of sent around to the different churches in and around Ephesus. And so it doesn't have that specific address. Um, but also, um, Ephesians, th thematically speaking, has a very sort of um, cosmic redemptive feel. It's very Christ-centered, not that the other letters aren't. But it's really focusing in on the redemptive work that Christ has done in the entire cosmos. And, and, and Paul's saying that as he's done those things, you need to walk in accordance to your calling as somebody who has been knitted into Christ. And so he has a lot to say about our personal walk with Christ, uh, what life should look like in the church, but also in relationships like marriage and ch um, parent and child and that thing. So let me read the passage and then we'll pray. He says this, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, 
But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father God, you are the author of all things. Lord, that your very words brings things into existence. And Lord, that you are not only God, but you are the only way to access to relationship with you is through your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to begin to think about this sort of skill or discipline of discernment. Lord, especially as we look to uh, events and life and values and decisions, Lord, that we need to make. Lord, that we would be guided by principles that you've laid forth in your word. And Lord, not only that we would be blessed by making sort of sound biblical choices and decisions, but also, Father, we pray that you would be glorified in our decision-making. Lord, that's our goal. We want to honor you, glorify you in what we say and what we do, and we give you thanks for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm, I'm a millennial, but I'm not tech-savvy, so I'm probably going to get behind on this these uh, PowerPoints, so please forgive me. Um, and they're also, uh, they look amateurish, so I haven't got there yet. I'll get there. Probably not. I'll probably never get there. Let's see. Okay, see like that. All right, so um, let me start. So has anybody heard of Operation Bernhard? Anybody? Am I saying that right? Operation Bernhard. Okay, so this is a picture of a British banknote. Okay? But here it, here's the deal. It's a forgery. It's a counterfeit. Now, you, you wouldn't know that looking at that picture, would you? you first of all, you need to know something about currency, Right and what it looks like and about that specific deal, bill, but here's what Operation Bernhard was about: uh, the Nazi Nazi Germany uh, hired or didn't hire they they took as prisoners uh, copyists, uh, um, printers. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Printers, bind, book binders, and engravers, and they kind of got together. And their goal was to produce a counterfeit of a British banknote. Right? And I'll tell you why they were doing that at the end, but I'm not going to tell you now. But here, here's the point that I want to say, that we can't tell um, that that's a counterfeit, but it is. And where these were found is that as the end of the war was, the war was coming to an end, uh, the Germans took a bunch of crates of these bills, these counterfeited bills, and they took them to a lake in Austria, and they dumped them in the middle of the lake. They wanted nobody to know about it. And they were later found, and there were stories of this, this operation, but nobody had found them. They finally found them at the bottom of, of the lake in the 1990s. But the point is, has anybody ever had or seen a counterfeit bill? Has anybody come across that? Right? Now, people that work in banks especially say yes. Right? But the chances are, there's a good chance that at least some of us here have touched counterfeit money without knowing it. Right? And sometimes you've, you've seen it, and sometimes I'm sure Lauren, who's worked in a bank, could say, yeah, I've seen some really bad ones, right? The paper's different, the ink's different, the printing's centered. But the point of a counterfeit is to get past untrained eyes, right? It, it takes skill, and especially discernment, to know the marks of a real dollar bill versus that of a fake, right? We look, sometimes you'll see a, a cashier holding up to see if there's a watermark right underneath, that sort of thing. The, the point is, is it takes work, it takes skill to build discernment. And this analogy stretches beyond uh, just talking about counterfeit money. Um, in preparation for this talk, I, I googled, uh, does anybody else google a lot? 
I use it all the time, right? I have an app that just you just say, okay, Google this, and it just pulls up the scores. It's weird. So I, I Google spiritual books just to see what comes up. And I was like, you know, I know there's going to be some wild cards that are going to be in there. You, you think you're going to see the Bible, but you'll, you, you expect to see the Book of Mormon or something like that. And amazingly, none of those books, as a first search that came up, none of those books came up. Bible, Book of Mormon, the Quran. Uh, in fact, the first book that came up was a book by Eckhart Tolle, a New Age spiritualist, called, um, I get my notes in order, The Power of Now. Okay? The next book that was listed is called The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. And then followed up by that was uh, Here and Now by Ram Dass. These are all books uh, sort of promising spiritual enlightenment, but obviously are, are, fall, are counter gospels, fake gospels, right? They, they, they're promising something that they can't deliver on. So I go to the New York Times bestseller list thinking surely there would be something better there. And what was interesting about that, I was again surprised. I was kind of ready to be shocked, but three out of the five books written as, as kind of religious books in the New York Times bestseller list were written by people that do not identify as Christian. Now there was one, that was on a New York Times bestseller book uh, books list that was written by somebody that identifies as a Christian. Joel Osteen, The Power of I Am. Right? So this is what he says about the book. Uh, Romans 4 says, Call the things that are not as though they were. Call the things that are not as though they were. That simply means that you shouldn't talk about the way you are. Talk about the way you want to be. So he's using the I Am statements of, of Jesus, John's Gospel. Jesus identifies as himself. And is basically developing this into a principle for living and saying, instead of saying, I am weak, say, I am strong. Instead of saying, I am unhealthy or I'm unfit, say, I am fit. Instead of saying, I'm ugly, say, I'm attractive. And eventually, if you tell yourself that enough, eventually you will, you will be that, is his idea. Right? But it's false. It's, 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 false. it's a false teaching. It's, it's fundamentally, not only does it do injustice to the gospel itself, but it completely abuses scripture and especially a statement that Jesus used to, to uses to refer to himself. And so this is just to put an emphasis on that we live in confusing times. There's so much information now at our fingertips through the use of a smartphone, right? That we can pull up all these ideas on... Uh, how many books of the Bible are there really? Was Jesus uh, fully God? What, you know, who should I date? As one student at Young Life said, you know, he, he took a, a, a quiz online to discover what uh, religion he should be. Right? That there are all these guides telling us how we should live. And so this idea of discernment really comes at home, doesn't it? You know, what type of relationships we should be, you know, should we be in all these things. For college students, uh, what career path should I choose? What university, if you're a high school student, what university or school should I go to or not? Right, we need the discipline of discernment in our lives. And I think this is what Paul is getting to in Ephesians. He knows that as these people in Ephesus who aren't Christians, that were, weren't Christians and are now Christians, that they live in a society, in a city that is known for a pluralism of beliefs and teachings. And so the need to be discerning is especially important to this audience. And so I think this is what he's saying in this section especially, that since God's revealed word is true, we must practice discernment. It's kind of the key thought up there. Now I need to preface this with two things. First, I am no expert in this topic of discernment. Half the time that I get asked to teach, I do so, I, I choose something that I know I need to grow in, right? So I am 
like a heart surgeon who has heart disease, right? I am someone that desperately needs to grow in the practice and use of discernment in my own life. And so I want to make that known, that I'm not an expert. I don't pretend to be. This is just something that I've, kind of the fruit of my own study about this topic. Uh, The second is that this is is topical in some sense. Uh, This is by no means exhaustive. I've listed some suggested readings um, for you if you'd like to follow up and learn more about this. Um, But I'm I'm not an expert, and this is going to be topical. Just some few basic principles, three, really, principles that we can start to apply with this topic of discernment. So um, these are the three that I'm going with. First, avoid partnering, partnering or joining with darkness. Second, we must bathe ourselves in the truth or love the truth. Third, we must consider our lives, our walk, our aims, our goals, our values, and see and, and think and consider how they align with sort of the biblical principles that are laid out for us in God's word. So first, we must avoid partnering with darkness. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 5, verses 6 and 7. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. First, we need to define the term of discernment, don't we? And I think that quote on on your um, page by Lewis Smedes is a great one. That discernment is, is being able to see things as they really are. To accurately see what is true and then in turn what is not. And then by knowing what is true sort of making decisions, informing your opinions based upon the truth and not what is false. Pastor and theologian John MacArthur describes discernment as the act of discerning between truth and error. The Bible talks about discernment a lot. It just uses different terms, uh, like knowing, um, judging, or being able to decide. Uh, But really we see the first picture of discernment or the failure of discernment being acted upon. Does anybody have an idea? The garden, Genesis, Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Because in the, in the Garden of Eden, right, God says in Genesis 2, as he, he creates Adam and Eve, he says, listen, you can have uh, fruit and food from any of the trees except do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? He, he makes that very clear, and Adam knows that, and he would have told that to Eve. And then in chapter 3, immediately, the serpent comes onto the scene, and what does the serpent say? Did God say you may not eat of any tree in the garden? Right? Discernment for Adam would have been like, that, that's a lie. That is not what God said. Right? And it's kind of implicit that, you know, Eve is there. And, and so Adam is there also as, as the serpent is talking to Eve, as Satan is talking to Eve. And so in his complacency and his failure to lack discernment and judgment, proper judgment, and exercise it, right? Our whole world has come unto, un, under sin. And so Adam's failure has brought, the the failure to exercise discernment can lead to grave consequences. Psalm 119, verse 66, the psalmist asks the Lord to teach me good judgment and knowledge. In another letter that written by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, Paul exhorts the church in Thessalonica to examine everything, which is another word for discernment or type or use of discernment, examining everything carefully, holding fast to what is good and abstaining from every form of evil. So there's this idea that we examine, we, we test what was being presented to us as true or not, and then acting in accordance to what is good or what is true. Romans uh, 12, 9, Paul tells the Romans to abhor evil and hold fast to what is good. 
And so here in, in this, this passage, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God have comes, comes upon you, uh, sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. See, Paul, this is real to Paul's life, to his experience, isn't it? Because he, before Ephesians, he had the, the crowd in, in the letter to the Galatians in which somebody had come in and presented a false gospel, and a lot of people were taken in by it, right? That they also needed to be applying the Old Testament law, especially circumcision, as part of their uh, process of salvation. And similarly, Paul had written a letter to the church in Corinth in which gross immorality was present in the church and nobody was doing anything about it. So for Paul, this was a very personal thing, that he had seen the effects of when people fail to sort of uphold what is true and what is good and instead partner with darkness. Now, I think what Paul's saying here is, as Peter O'Brien commented, I think is right. He's not saying, hey, don't associate with unbelievers. Right? We know that, right? Like we have, to sh- we, have a, we have a great commission that we are participating in. We know that we need to be friends with um, unbelievers. But I think what he's saying is, hey, don't, don't do what they're doing. Like, don't, if you're, a, if you're a young 20-something, don't go out and party and get wasted with your unbelieving friends because in doing so, you're somehow endorsing what, what, they're, what they're selling. And, and I think that this kind of stretches, if you would, with me to not just like actions, like don't associate with their actions, but also that we need to be discerning to what they're selling us. Because I think this is the thing that we really sometimes miss is that at all times, we're getting, being presented with pictures of the good life. You don't believe me? Just go into the mall. Right? Or watch TV. I was just talking about this with Grace. Like, we were watching an episode of a show that we like to watch, and it's like um, their life is a complete mess, but for somehow they just seem like they have it all together because they take all these nice trips together and they do all these fun family things and all that. And you're like, oh, that's nice, you know. Wouldn't we like to have that, right? Like, even television shows, movies, books, commercials, they're always selling us a picture of the good life. So we have to be, we have to be discerning of what, what is it, what's behind that. Kind of asking ourselves when we're presented with things, ideas, with values, with aims, with goals, what's at stake if I believe this view of marriage? What's at stake if I believe this, this view of, of gender? Right? And so it's just taking a step back to think, uh, what's, what's at stake if I believe this view of relationships and dating? For, exa- for example, uh, asking those questions and asking what's at what, how does it accord to the teaching of Scripture? So this week I was invited to uh, participate in uh, a focus on the family focus group. Um, I don't know. So there was people there from Saddleback, Willow Creek, large Christian universities, and then me out of Topeka, Kansas. They're like Chicago, L.A., New York City, Houston, Topeka. I don't know how I got included in that list. But I was like, I don't belong here at all. I don't know why you guys want my opinions. But whatever, you're, you're paying me for me to be here. Our family got a vacation out of it. We're going with it. So anyhow, there I am. I'm sitting in this, this, this seat. We're watching a documentary that they're working on called The Dating Project, in which they're basically, the idea is that, you know, our generation, millennials, have lost the script to dating. They don't even know how to pursue relationships. They don't even know where to start. Like, literally, they do not know even how to ask somebody out on a date. And as we finish this video, one of the, the, te- uh, the, she's a counselor at a major Christian university. She's like, I am just so frustrated that we need some sort of guide on dating. 
And I was like, you know, that's true. But then somebody said, you know, listen, if, they, if we don't address it, because people aren't addressing it, let's just be honest, par- a lot of parents aren't talking to their students on how do you, their children on how to pursue a relationship with somebody in the opposite sex. Churches aren't really giving that great of a guide. And so if they don't get that, they're going to go somewhere else. So what, is a, what does a child do? They'll just Google it. They will. Or they'll just, you know, if, they're not, if we're not going to speak on relationships, then they're going, to, we're going to, they're going to rest on the wisdom of Google. You know, if we're not going to speak and, and speak clarity, clearly and winsomely to the issue of sexual orientation and gender, then generations and people are going to rely on the wisdom of MTV and, and the Kardashians, right? Like if we don't, if the church doesn't want to talk about how to vote, how to, how to vote biblically, how to think Christianly about voting in a democracy, then not to, not to bag on anybody, but they're going to kind of just rely on whatever the talking heads on Fox News or NBC has to say, right? Like we have to, part of building discernment is upping the level of engagement in our own lives, in our own spheres, having these conversations with people and as a church community. Asking ourselves as we hear values and ideas, what's at stake? Should I be hitching my wagon to that person's view of, of life? So thinking about this in application, let's be honest, like some of us, we don't have discernment, right? Like we're messes in relationships. We give ourselves too much to anybody, you know, that we just, you look at our relationships that we're in and we don't really know how to sift out relationships well. Um, that was me where it's just like, oh, I, I couldn't see the bad in anybody, right? And there'd be people that are speaking truth in my life, like, you need to stay away from that person or you need to watch out, like they're going to be trouble. And so it took... For me, being mentored and discipled by people that had walked in a path of discernment, had, had grown in discernment and walked in wisdom. And so for a little bit, this is just a plug for wisdom or for mentoring. You know, really just taking a moment to ask yourself in a relational inventory, who do I allow to speak truth into my life or do I? Am I, am I so uh, given in by pride that I don't even want to hear truth from other people? You know, and if not, asking, you know, who is God bringing in my life in this church community that might be able to mentor, disciple me? Because I, I, I was that person, and Mike Halpin and my wife could tell you that I was that person who lacked sense and discernment early on. And I have so benefited by the role of mentors in my life, godly mentors in my life. And I can just say, if this is something that you struggle with, by all means, Latch yourself on to people that, that are discerning, that are wise, that you've seen sort of the way they make decisions and as they reflect biblical values and applying them in their lives, that that's something you want to aim for and pray for it. The second thing is this, that we can grow in the discipline of discernment by sort of bathing ourselves in truth. We must love truth. Look with me again in Ephesians 5. Uh, Paul says in verses 8 and 9 that he reminds them that, that they are called, to use Paul's term, they are called the children of light. Think about that. God doesn't um, bring on condemnation and say, listen, you should do the right things because I, if you don't, I'm going to condemn you. Right? He says earlier, hey, avoid that because those, avoid those types of behavior because that does not characterize somebody who walks as a child of God. But rather he affirms in this passage their identity. He, he affirms what is truly true about them. You are children of God. Oftentimes with my kids, when they, when they do something that is out of line with our family values, I'll say, or Grace will say, listen, you don't do that because you're a green. And that's not what greens do, right? You don't, you don't hit your brother or your sister because you're a green, and we treat our family with love, right? 
And in the same way, we need to operate out of a place of our own value or our own identity of who we are in Christ. We are to love truth, and he says that, the, that there are fruit with truth uh, of, of children of light, what is good, what is right, and what is true. We are to love truth because that's what we are defined as believers in the truth. John 18 tells of this exact thing when, when Jesus is being sort of um, interrogated by Pilate, the man who holds his life in his hands, and he asks him, why did you come into this world? And he, Jesus says this, you say that I'm a king, Pilate. But for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is in truth listens to my voice. So think about it for a moment. Jesus, the Gospel of John was written to disclose that Jesus was not only the Son of God, but was God. And if Jesus was God and he's giving us his word in the 66 books of the Bible, ultimately, if we say that we love God... We have to love his word. They're, they're inseparable, aren't they? And so where I'm going with this is that the start in growing in discernment, we have to love God's word. I'm not going to go on a little bit of, a, of a, the, the usual course of saying read your Bibles, which is true. Like even sometimes when we don't want to read scripture, we need to out of habit because it, it shapes our habits, our practices. But at a deeper level, as one theologian says, you are what you love how much of our decisions aren't really based on whether or not it's true or untrue, but based on how much we love something. You can tell a person, hey, I've read a lot of studies on the effects of, of sun tanning and sunbeds with, with, in, as, as it relates to skin disease and skin cancer, right? But if somebody really wants to look good in their own minds and, and loves looking good in front of other people, it doesn't, know, it doesn't matter how much truth you put before them, they're still going to operate by what they love. And for a lot of us, the question really, and this is, this is the part that I hated asking myself, it's like, do you really love God's word? Do you allow that to speak into your life in ways that are so substantial that it's actually changing you from the, out, or the inside out? And for us, we just, we just need to be in the, the arena of, of making that sort of pattern of not only sort of dwelling and resting in God's word, but also loving it. Over and over again, the, the psalmist or other, other authors talk about not only their love for God's word, but also the, the joy that it is. And so for us as, as people who want to grow in this idea of discernment, we need to sort of up our level of engagement in the way in which we encounter scripture. You know, do we make a large point to read large chunks of scripture? This is a great, this is to me a great point on building discernment. You know, or do we just go and buy the easy, the, the sort of devotional that has the one verse and, you know, makes us feel good? And those, are, those have a place, right? But really, if we want to build discernment, we need to start digesting large portions of God's Word. And so just some books that I've found personally helpful, and other people would create different lists, and they're all valid because it's all good. Books of the Bible that help in the skill of discernment. I think the wisdom literature is a great place to go. Proverbs has saved me a lot of headaches in how I've responded to things. Psalms, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, people that use what I think is sound gifts of discernment to help inform decisions and responses. First and second, Peter, James, and then somehow the Gospels got left out there, um, but the Gospels as well, right? Taking time as a family or as, a, as an individual to read large portions of Scripture and especially pages of the Bible that talk about this issue of discernment, rightfully sifting what is true and what is untrue. 
So there, there's that idea that we should, we should love truth, that we should be partners with the truth. But also this third idea that I think Paul is sort of getting at too, that we also must consider our walk. Verses 10 and 14. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, he says in verse 10. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So two things that are coming into focus here. First is Paul's charge to to be discerning, right? He says that in verse 10, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. But then also is that that we bring it into the light, that which is uh, untrue, or untrue or false, to be bringing into light and to expose those things really brings the skill of discernment into focus. Uh, We are children of the light, and we're to live according to our true nature, but we're also to expose those things that are untrue. And you know one of the best ways that we can expose falsehood is by living it? You know, I don't know how many times I've I've heard people speak against social programs by the government, and listen, I'm not endorsing that, but they've said that's the church's responsibility, and it's like, okay, what does your pocketbook look like? What does your time look like? Right, and there's no commitment in what they with what they say and what they do. There's a complete disconnect. They don't give, they don't serve, and yet they lament the sort of the state of of the country, and yet um, their value or their their own lives don't look like the truth. Does that make sense? That's what that's what I'm trying to get at here. Is that one of the best ways that we can expose falsehood is by living truly the way God has intended us to be, personally, corporately, in community, right? Like, we don't, we don't live like all those other people that just, they get mad at each other, they have these big blowouts and leave. Like, no, we, we look to reconcile our relationships, right? And in doing that, we're actually pointing, we're actually exposing truth for what it is, the way that we've truly been called. And ultimately, and this is the best part, ultimately, it's a better way of living. We don't live true because it's truth, Right? We live truthfully because it is truly the better way to live. That's the point of God's law. In some sense, at least one sense, it's to not only show us our sin, but it's also to show us this is really a good thing. And so the gospel itself is a good thing. It it should inform how we do relationships, how we should do community, how we should give, how we should enter into relationships as husband and wife. It should inform our views of sexuality and gender and voting and uh, buying and purchasing and how we spend our money, these, these are all things. That, that's one of the best ways to expose the darkness. And in doing that, we are being discerning. Like when we start to line up all of our choices as uh, under the guide of Scripture, that we are only going to be building in discernment. But this is the problem. The author of Hebrews points this out. He, you know, the, Hebrews is a, is a letter written to encourage Christians to stay um, stay in faith and to sort of warn them from falling away. And this is what he says in verses 5, 11 through 14. About this, this is what we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, 
trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's classic, right? You want to you kind of know about discernment? We should be in, a, in Hebrews 5, and that easily could have been uh, the verse that we use for this talk. But the, the practice of distinguishing good from evil... The author charges them with not growing in maturity, that they become dull in hearing. That's not a good thing. Whenever dullness is used in, uh, in our translations, that's never a good thing. And they are stunting their own growth. See, growing in maturity, and to Paul point, Paul's point here in Ephesians 5, walking as children of the light involves skillfully applying God's truth and wisdom and seeing things for what they really are. I think that helps kind of get to the essence of discernment. So in applying this, maybe the question is, so what? You know, like, well, okay, you've talked about discernment. You've talked about, you know, uh, not associating, bathing yourselves in truth, evaluating our own lives and sort of the resources, the things that we kind of consume. But what's the benefit of discernment? What do I get from it, right? What do I get from it? What are you selling me here, Steve? Well, the first, there's, there's two things that I thought of, but there's more. The first is peace. You get peace. Who could leave some, use some peace in their life right now, Right? One of the greatest things that I've experienced is, uh, in my life, in my walk, is when Grace and I make decisions under the guise of biblical principles and we see them work in our life and God not only honored, but we, we are blessed by those principles. Does that make sense? Like times, because I struggle with anger and, and, and when, when the Bible says in Proverbs, like don't, um, a quiet answer or a quiet response uh, turns away wrath. Like, when I see that applied in my own life, my own situation, and it works, I have peace. I have peace in ways I didn't even know were possible. When I'm, when I'm seeking to, to see things as truly as they are and apply those things, right, I, I have peace. When I, so when I'm reading, right, I see in Easter, around Christmas or Easter that all the tabloids that say, was Jesus, really, uh, was Jesus really a Jew? You know, was he not an Indian mystic or something just fantastical and wild, right? It doesn't disturb my faith. When I hear about Bart Ehrman and coming out with a new book called Forgery about the New Testament scriptures, like, right, having, having discern, building discernment, that disciplined discernment, I'm not, I'm not shaken by this, right? You have a sort of steadfastness, and with that steadfastness comes peace, you have peace when it comes to relationships. It comes to peace when thinking about how to educate our children, how to, how to spend our money, how to uh, consume media, all those things that, that when building discernment, you are allowed to have peace. But also, the second part of the benefit of discernment is the church itself. The church itself. Um, you know, I've, I, I've been hitting on this a lot, but I've been increasingly discouraged by the state of of our, our society, the trajectory of whether it's Target or whether it's uh, the options for who we have as president or for um, just the, the, the kind of the cultural sort of uh, apathy about religious issues. And, and so I've kind of lamented that in some sense. But another thing, I've been wondering how in which ways have we as Christians help participate or at least uh, bring us to that state of not thinking, uh, not using or exercising discernment. What I mean is this. This is, this is me. This is my own uh, analogy. So somebody comes to me with a problem, and immediately I think, okay, I've read this blog, I've read this book, I've read this, 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 and this issue, right? And I'm like, wait a second. I haven't even told them, like, why don't you go to John's Gospel? Why don't you go to Ephesians? Why don't you go to Romans and read about this issue? Like, I've handicapped myself, right? Like we, we have so much information, so much advice from people 
that, um, that we undermine the sufficiency of God's word, the adequacy of God's word. And so it's, it's kind of like we're, we're on our training wheels, uh, wanting to ride a bike with, with no training wheels, but we haven't taken the time or the practice to actually make that happen. Like, instead of jumping to the, Matt Walsh's blog or the Gospel Coalition or uh, Paul Miller's book on prayer, which are all great resources, or for the most part, like, are, we, are we going first to God's Word itself? And are we teaching others to do the same? Are we teaching our children to do the same? Are we teaching those that we're mentoring to do the same? Are we teaching our, our, teaching our, our wives, uh, those that God has placed in our sphere around us, to do the same? So that um, when the, the hard issues come to life, we don't immediately start to Google search. Instead, we start to search the scriptures at, at, um, at first. So, I'm going to go back to that Operation Bernhard. What if? So the point of this whole counterfeiting operation was that they were going to fly large sums of counterfeited money over the um, countryside of England and drop it off. It was going to scatter across the countryside. And as they were doing that, their their hope was that just normal Englishmen would just pick it up and say, hey, I found some money, I'm going to go spend it. And as they started to spend it, that it would flood, a flood of fake currency or counterfeited money would kind of sort of um, inundate the, the economic system in Great Britain and ultimately lead to its collapse. And people have postulated or asked if this would have actually happened. This could have completely, completely changed the tide of the war, the course of the world, or, or the war. It's the what if, isn't it? And so the question is, what if, if we choose not to pursue discernment, the discipline of discernment, what's at stake? There's so many things that, that look like the real thing, that have all the trappings of the real thing, just like counterfeit money, that yet they are complete deception. I think this is one thing that we, as a church, community, myself, need to be acutely aware of, the need to grow in the discipline of discernment, which is different than the gift of discernment, by the way, which is a sermon for another day. But this is a skill that, that all of us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can completely grow in and should grow in for the benefit of ourselves, our relationships, our family, ultimately for the church and God's kingdom. First John chapter 1 says this, and I'll close with this passage, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, that we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let us testify to the truth. Let's uphold the truth that's been made manifest to us in the person of Christ, and, and let us come away with joy. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. It's a beautiful day. And Lord, we are thankful that we can come together in worshiping in both spirit and in truth. Lord, help remove the scales from our hearts that would prevent us from in pursuing things as they really are. Lord, not just ideas, not just thoughts, but Lord, also thinking about relationships. Lord, who are those people in life that are speaking truth in our lives? And who are those that we're giving ear to that we shouldn't be? Lord, would you make that known to us? Father, would you help us to grow as a community in the likeness of Christ? May we honor and glorify you because you are the true God, the true way to life.
ever after. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.